So the question is, are, are, are our emotions part of our relationship with God? Are we allowed, is it okay to feel angry? Are we allowed to feel angry even at God? And some have been led to believe that God frowns on emotions, uh, especially anger. But he has given us emotions. We struggle with feelings and our need to, to stand on our faith when we have some feelings. We're going to spend this month, as I said before, looking at God's word and what it says about emotions, especially how it relates to God's word and the truth of God's word. So let each of us open our hearts, our minds to his word. Open your Bibles to his word and consider this. God created us with the ability to feel emotions, to feel angry, sad, hurt, upset, joy, Surprise, disgust, and contempt, just to name a few. Emotions are considered to be a standard for all of mankind. We struggle with the question, with what do we do with these God-given feelings as we walk with God and we have life with him? Feelings are the body's natural response to our various perspectives and experiences in life. Our feelings express emotions, and our emotions are formed based on our culture, our mental perspectives, past experience, conditioning, but more importantly, they're formed based on our faith. Far too often we let these emotions or these feelings become our truth about life. In the 139th Psalm, David tells us that God has a perfect knowledge and a perfect understanding of the human creation. You know, he created us so he should understand everything about us. And he understands our emotions and our feelings. So they're not a shock to him when we have them. After all, he formed us and he gave us the ability to feel. And you see, David is not the only one in the Bible that experiences the ups and downs of emotions. They're throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can look at those saints that struggled we can look at Hannah, who was unable to have children and poured out her heart to God with bitter anguish. You look at Habakkuk, who felt uneasy and fearful with doubts about God, only to have God squash his doubts and restore his confidence. David, a man after God, he lusted. Jesus wept and Peter feared. So emotions aren't new to God. God does not hate emotions or feelings. And he certainly doesn't condemn us for having them. In fact, he welcomes us to bring them to him. We are to, if we are brokenhearted, we are to bring those feelings, those emotions, those concerns to him. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Crushed in spirit. And then in the 147th Psalm, we read, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If we are weary in life and life's problems burden us, he invites us to cast them on him. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humbly obey God regardless of our circumstances, and in his good time, he will lift you up. As we recognize God's love, we should understand it is a true love. 
and we should trust him completely and unconditionally. So turn to God in repentance, and he bears the weight of your struggles. Do not submit to your circumstances, but submit to the one who controls your circumstances. If someone upsets you, it's okay to feel anger, but let your anger lead to forgiveness. Ephesians 4.26 says, in, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun come down while you are still angry. The Bible does not say, do not be angry. Jesus got angry. He was pretty good at flipping over tables in the temple and getting after the money changers. And you can look in the Old Testament, God's wrath on his own people. The Bible does point out that it's important how you handle your anger. If we vent thoughtlessly toward those others, then we can destroy relationships and we can even destroy people. Nor should we let your anger bottle up inside you because it turns then into bitterness. Deal with anger and love and grace. Otherwise, guess who has an opportunity to take control of that situation? And that's the evil one. The truth is God invites us to be vulnerable with him. Our lives and actions change. However, our hearts, our emotions do have a place in our relationship with God. These feelings and emotions are acknowledged by God. He's not asking us not to be human. He is not asking us to hide the hurt and the pain. He is not asking us to suffer in silence, nor is he asking us to pretend we're not afraid. However, at the same time, he's not telling us we need to be upbeat and happy all the time either. Instead, he's inviting us to come to him with all the emotions and to lay them at his feet and to trust him. Many people do not understand that. In fact, we fail to understand that sometimes these emotions that trigger these feelings in our lives, why they come about. But God does. So often these emotions and our reactions are God's way of growing us and drawing us closer to him. And sometimes they're painful. But he's at work in all things. He's inviting us to a more intimate relationship with him, one that requires both emotion and trust in him and his word and to build our faith. In our faith, we learn to stand on his truth not on our emotional truth. Pilate asked a question about truth to Jesus. So if you grab your Bibles, I want to turn just to a couple of verses in John, John 18, 37 and 38. We read this. Then Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king, are you? Jesus answered, do you say that I am king? For this I was born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After saying this, he went back out to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. You see, when Pilate heard Jesus speak of truth, he asked, what is truth? This was not an inquiry. This was not a question. In fact, he didn't even wait for an answer. He said it to justify himself. He went out to the mob, pronounced Jesus innocent. Then he flogged him and handed him over for crucifixion. Jesus, I mean, Pilate appears to go along with the idea that truth is relative. 
For him, it was true that Jesus was innocent, but for the Jews, it was true that Jesus was guilty. So Pilate, in fairness, in wanting to please everyone, washed his hands and let the Jews follow their truth. When it comes to God's truth, are we doing the same thing today? A good man was crucified because the mob's version of truth, he was a criminal in their truth and was considered valid in Pilate's mind. So here's the danger of the notion that there is no universal truth. If all truth changes from person to person, from situation to situation, from feeling to feeling, there's no reference point. There's no guideline. There's a valid contradiction for everything. Are we in a place in this time today where that's taking place? Pilate found no fault in Jesus, but the mob shouted, crucify him. And Pilate found an opportunity to hear that what he thought, well, maybe that is valid for them. So maybe it is true. Jesus already answered the question, what is truth, before it was asked. I have come to the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. When you listen to Jesus, you hear only truth. You hear only truth. He is the voice of truth. But a few people give credence to absolute truth like that, but many don't. But yet that truth is applicable for everyone. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father unless through me. Many people treat this as nonsense or they want to water this down. They want it to fit their moment in time or they want it to fit the emotions or feelings they're having at the time. Let me give you an example of this. If you have a coat on, and I do not, and I tell you that it's cold, and you tell me that, you know, you're a sissy, you shouldn't be cold. I'm not cold. Am I wrong? Are you wrong? Both statements are true, mine of me and you of yours, because truth in this case is relative and subjective. But when I say there is a God, you might say, no, there is not. These statements are not both true. Because they deal with something objective and exterior to what you feel or think. The statement there is a God is either true or false, absolutely. Don't argue by asking the question, how do you define God? Or show me God. Where is God right now? Because you're trying to make God subjective, an artifact of a person's mind. You begin to change the proposition from there is a God. You know, Plato told Socrates, what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me. This is a pagan notion that truth is always personal and relative to self. That is so widespread today. Jesus believed in absolute truth and made it the foundation for our lives. John 17, 17. He prayed to his father for his disciples. Make them holy in truth. Your word is truth. He also said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
the mob's truth was that Jesus was worthy of crucifixion. And the mob's truth had sway that day. Of course, it wasn't really the truth. Yet today, the will and beliefs, the emotions or the feelings of the majority or those loud minority that seem have no regard for the real truth. Issues such as abortion, homosexuality, war are decided by community standards and by whoever is the loudest or gets the most airtime in the media. They're on Facebook, they're on Google, they're on Twitter. This means the view of the loudest or the one with the most media exposure holds the power and then is viewed as truth. When we begin to do that, then there is no other voice that seems to have a higher authority to be recognized. The truth becomes predominant of public opinion. People acquiesce and get so used to that, then God is ignored and God is irrelevant, non-existent and powerless to many. We water down God's word. We hear shouts and name-calling in placement of those that oppose this loud scream in a box, in an evil box that there's something wrong with you. Hate and anger cause those that are actually speaking the truth to go hide or become silent. You know, if you read about the people of the way after... Jesus was arrested and crucified, they ran. And you look at the apostles, they even hid. But when Jesus appeared to them again, they realized they didn't need to hide. They needed to speak the truth. And that's what they did. They shared the gospel by speaking the truth. So often today, people question the truth and move to emotions because they want to get along with people. They want people to like them. They forget what Jesus said. They will hate you, but they hated me first. This is not a popularity contest. This is doing what God told us to do. To spread the good news. To make disciples of all men. Many pray. Many of those that hide and just go, oh, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to challenge anybody many of those people pray jesus come quickly when the truth is we should stand firm on god's word and as i said make disciples of all men loving them as we do so nowhere nowhere in the bible does it say give up break out that white flag surrender excuse me surrender you see the apostles were fine for dying for God's truth. We've seen that so often, especially in this blessed nation. We've seen times that men and women have stood up in the face of unpopular things going on and spoke the truth. Can you imagine the emotions that were going through those men that hit that beach in Normandy on June 6th? Did those men say, let somebody else fight this evil tyranny? They stood up in truth and love. Let us not be the generation that craters out of fear 
or any emotion to spreading God's truth. We are to stand on God's truth, as the Bible says, not water it down to fit today. Instead, we obediently follow the truth, not our feelings. Our emotions and feelings change, but God's word does not. We are to bring heaven's truth to this earth and to humanity that's on this earth. We cannot only rely on how we feel. Our feelings, thoughts, and emotions go up and down. You know, if you go to a scary movie, you watch that movie, and you know the monsters aren't real, but sometimes you feel scared or something will happen and you'll jump. You can be scared because the movie makers manipulate your mind so that you begin to feel that this is reality when it truly is not. You know it's not real, but you feel like it's real, and therefore you get scared. You see, feelings have no intellect. All they can do is react. Having faith is not based on how one feels. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. Facing the unknown may cause some anxiety, but our answers are to lean on him who is with us always. I encourage you to read the 23rd Psalm and read it with joy. God is here walking with us, protecting us, and providing for us, regardless whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop. In a courtroom, there are officers that are there to keep the peace and protect the judicial proceedings. If a judge rules against you, you still show respect. Your feelings of frustrations, maybe of losing the case, do not justify an emotional response, an outburst, or chaos in the courtroom. Why? Well, because if you do so, those officers that are there, uh, they're going to make you behave. Your feelings must adjust to the reality of where you are. In the same way, you must measure your feelings and emotions against the reality and the truth of God's word. His word sets the tone for how we live, not our feelings. While many times our emotions will lead us into defeat, the word of God is an instrument that gives us a solid guidance and direction that we can count on. Psalms 119, beginning the 105th verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confided, confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. So what, me, what feelings or emotions do you have? They come up, they pop up out of nowhere. Let's just say you're driving down the street and suddenly you look in the rearview mirror and there's a police car coming behind you, red lights and sirens going. What's the first thing you begin to think? Well, you may begin to start thinking of excuses. It's about why you're driving the way you're driving. Or maybe you begin to think, oh, I wasn't going that fast. Or maybe you become mad and you say, I don't know why they're not out there catching robbers and burglars and rapists and why they're not doing that. They're stopping me because I have a nice car. No, wait, they're stopping me because of the political bumper sticker I have on my car. Oh, no, wait, they're stopping me because of the Dallas Cowboy bumper sticker I have on my car. Your heart may race. You may think, I don't need another ticket. 
it may, you may think, oh, I haven't paid the other ticket, so I really don't need to be stopped again. These are all thoughts and feelings and emotions that hit you all at once. Then it happens. That police car, red lights and sirens, siren, goes around you. Everything you thought wasn't true. He wasn't stopping you. See, your emotions were not in line with the truth of, of the facts. Why? It's because you have an emotionally made moment. And you made it all about you. Whether it was pride, anger, or fear consumed you that moment. We cannot depend upon our emotions. When it comes to living, we must learn to rely on the truth of God's word in our direction from him. Relying first on your emotions will often, often lead you astray. By the way, when the police car passed you, did you think, thank you, Jesus? Did you slow down? Did you say a prayer to protect those as they go to do what you said you thought they should be doing without any personal regard to protect someone else that was in need? You see, our emotions and often public opinion causes us to redefine our standards. And sometimes we even want to redefine God's standards. First Peter 1, but just as he just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. One day, this 11-year-old boy called his dad and said, hey, dad, I want you to meet me at the gym. I want to show you something really neat. This 11-year-old was not quite five foot tall, but he loved basketball. So his dad showed up at the gym and he says, dad, watch me. And the little boy began to dribble the basketball and headed toward the goal. And he cupped that ball in his hand and he dunked that basketball. What an amazing sight. Until the dad realized what had happened. The little boy had gotten a maintenance man to lower the basketball goal so he could dunk it. You see, the standard had been lowered. The dad explained to his son that the goal should not be lowered. So he could dunk. Instead, it should, he should continue to work until he could actually dunk the basketball. Sometimes we lower the standards and then we get all excited when we reach that standard. God wants us to rise to his standard. Wherever we are, rise to that standard of excellence. God's standard of truth. One man asked three friends, to tell him the meaning of truth. One friend was a psychologist, and he said the truth is what one feels it to be. The other friend was an accountant, and he said truth is what one needs it to be. Another one was a lawyer. He said truth is what uh, you can make it to be. People today talk often about the concept of my truth. And the opinion that truth is relative and completely determined by their point of view. Here's the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Some may say, well, that makes it too narrow for me. In reality, that is very, very wide. It is open to the entire world 
who receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and repents of their sins. As the way Jesus is our path to the Father, as the truth, he is the reality of all of God's promises. He joins our life with his divine life, both now and eternally. When our faith is based only on, a, on feelings and emotion, it becomes unstable and uncertain. In other words, if my faith is strong only when I feel good, what happens when I feel bad? Then my faith wavers and becomes weak. James tells us, the one who doubts is like the wave in the sea, double-minded and unstable in all they do. The truth is, God's love is unchanging. He loves you, and Jesus died for you. Emotions come and go, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah says, trust the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. The one good thing about emotions is generally emotions cause us to do something. If we have a loving relationship with God, these emotions prompt us to remember that we should love God and love others. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God did not give us emotions so that we could be miserable, nor did he give us emotions so he could control us, but he gave us emotions so we could help to relate to him and to others. In the midst of strong emotions, give God a chance to direct you, to mold you, and to mend you. So often we have that moment where we have runaway emotions, which means our emotions are running our lives at that moment. Proverbs 14.30 tells us that runaway emotions corrode us from the inside. If you're overwhelmed with fear, it can weaken you physically and spiritually. It can weaken your faith in God. Our feelings and emotions should not be what drives our decisions but more of an indicator of what is going on inside of us. We put our trust in God. We put our trust in what God says and check our feelings with the word of God. We see the, in the Psalms, David is doing this over and over again. Our emotions can be twisted and even destructive. We must rely on Christ to fill us with the thoughts and the actions that please him. We're about to partake of communion. If you're a visitor with us today, this is not Calvary's table. This is God's heavenly banquet. And it's open to all those who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and have repented of your sins. We do this by intentions. You'll be directed to come up and there's wafers there and you just put your finger on one and take it and take a cup. And you go back to your seat and partake of that. But you are all welcome. You see, what lies before you this morning is the truth. This is the truth. So may you feel the emotions that go with this sacrificial truth of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen.